here at Refuge. But this evening, we are continuing through the book of Joshua. We're covering three chapters this evening. We're covering chapter 11, 12, and 13. And um, the, the theme that kept going through my mind as far as these chapters were concerned is leaving nothing undone. The key verse, I believe, is Joshua eleven fifteen, which says, Just as the Lord, in chapter 11, verse 15, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Well, what a beautiful thing to have said about you, right? That he left nothing undone that he had been commanded to do. Nothing. He accomplished everything that the Lord had set before him to do. Reminded me of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so, we should be those people who uh, do not hold back. I was just listening earlier uh, a little bit to uh, Lance Halsett's um, sermon. He's in Deuteronomy and he's going through. And he talked about how um, the promised land, and it was just a quick reminder, um, that the promised land had only, you know what percentage was occupied? You know, God gave the Israelites the promised land and he marked it all out. About 10%, that's it. That's it. 10%. 90%. Unconquered. Unoccupied. Not possessed. And, and, and I was quickly, you know, as he's going through, I'm like, yeah, you know, these. I love listening and I love, you know, uh, hearing like reminders, how it is that that's likened to us in our walk with the Lord. How it is that for us as Christians, as we go through and we see God's promises, we fail to go beyond normally possessing about and knowing, receiving unto ourselves, understanding, walking out more than about, I don't even know if it's 10% of what God's word has for us. Why? Because we fail to pick this book up and study it. The word is very clear. Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. And so the only reason why we fail is because we quit. We quit. We pick it up every now and then and we look through and um, we kind of glance over. Uh, we read, some, and, and I, you guys know this is my pet peeve. We pick up someone else's devotions and, and replace that for reading the, the Bible. That's sad. That's sad. That should not be uh, the, the life of a Christian. We should not be, that's fine, and I have nothing against devotions, but that shouldn't be the thing that you go to mainly. It should be a supplement, something that you pick up on the side, but not something that, if you quote more commentaries than you do the Bible, actually the Bible, if you quote other people's words more than the Bible itself and allow it to minister, him to minister to you, um, then check yourself. You need to be reading the Bible more. That's what you need to be doing. So it reminded me of this, this very thing. I mean, the Apostle Paul was a man who was given to the study of God's word. 
Uh, Joshua was one who knew uh, the word up to that point. What he had been, re- what's been revealed to him, knew that very well. In fact, back in Joshua chapter one, the Lord said to him. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You have to know it in order to meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You wouldn't know that, though, unless you, you, you studied the Word of God. You wouldn't know it. And so we have before us a man who left nothing undone because he he knew exactly what had to be done. Joshua was committed to fulfilling what the Lord had called him to accomplish. And for him, it was the conquering of the promised land and the division of it among the Israelites, among all the tribes. And this is exactly what he accomplished. We don't know exactly how long it took, but we do know that the Lord exhibited His amazing power and sovereignty over His enemies and over the the very elements of the universe that He created. The Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven just as a reminder on their enemies. And then God made the sun and the moon stand still, and they did for about a whole day, so that Joshua would have enough time to kill the rest of the enemies he was pursuing. And just because Joshua knew past victories... And and listen, they were big victories. God did not give him the option of sitting down to bask in the glory of these victories. There was still more to do. As Christians, we should never relax our work unto the Lord. The enemy, you see, can come against us no matter how old we are and how many victories we've known in the past. In fact, I've seen people how people can become even more selfish as they get older and attempt to justify because of age. The Bible doesn't make that exception. Moses was a hundred... And listen to this. And these are just a few examples. Moses was 120 years old. He still wanted to go into the promised land, but he couldn't because he misrepresented God, right? But he was 120 years old and he was ready to go in. Joshua was 110 years old when he died. Joseph was 110 years old. Caleb was 85 years old when he says, give me the mountain area where all the giants live. I want to conquer them. For who knows if the Lord would give them into my hand. I love that, right? I, I, I love that kind of passion, that kind of zeal for the Lord. The older is supposed to demonstrate to others and the younger, tenacity, perseverance, faithfulness, and serving the Lord until they go home to be with Him. I think Chuck Smith is a great example of that. Wonderful example. I I remember seeing him at a conference a couple years prior to him going home to be with the Lord. Just, you see that smile on his face. Just always going. We will see this evening how Joshua's battles did not get any easier. They didn't get any easier. And he gave himself to fully accomplishing what he had been commanded to do. Come what may, no matter what, he was given to completely accomplish fully 
what the Lord had commanded him to do. So let's pray and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you can use us all the way until the moment that we go home to be with you. Lord, what an honor, what a privilege. Lord, may you simply give us your spirit, your strength. And Lord, may your zeal never diminish in us. Lord, may we have excitement when we, when we serve you. May we look for opportunities to bless others. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be students of your word. That when we sit down and have that intimate devotional time with you, that we, we would so look forward to it. To that moment where you're speaking to us and correcting us and strengthening us and refining us and giving us your wisdom and discernment, Lord. That we just can't wait to sit down with you one more time. A little bit more. A little bit longer. So that we too, like Joshua, would know exactly what you have for us. And that we too, at the end of our lives, would say that we left nothing undone. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We thank you for it, and we ask your blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua chapter 11, verse 1. says, When Jabin the king of Hazor heard of this, he sent to Joab king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Asaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naphoth-dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Maram to fight against Israel. And, 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 and. I mean, it was like, how many of these guys are getting together? Right? It was a lot. We see here how, uh, what we see here is how Israel's victories had actually prompted this very thing. That's what drew all of these armies together to be united, to come against Israel. We've got to knock them out now. They've had past victories. But it's Israel's victories that prompted the enemy to come together stronger than ever. You see, it didn't matter how many victories Israel had in the past or how awesome these victories had been. The enemy doesn't care, nor does it relent just because Joshua had past victories. Do you not know how many victories I've had in the past with the Lord? The enemy just laughs. It doesn't really matter. We're going to unite and we're going to take you out. We're going to destroy you. Why? Because the enemy seeks to steal, kill, destroy. Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Wants to completely annihilate doesn't matter if it's now or later. In fact, the enemy, enemy will wait for years. Years. 
And, and then when you least expect it, when you've relaxed your guard, he will dangle that temptation before you and attack. And he'll hit you, and before you even know what happened, you're down. Now, the enemy assembled, and they were numerous. They had tanks, and they had Apache helicopters. They, they had all that. that. That's what this is equivalent to. Horses and chariots. The cavalry was coming in. And they were so numerous that they're described as a number like the sand that is on the seashore. Imagine that coming at you. Instead of the challenges getting easier, it seemed as if they were getting more difficult for the Israelites. Northern Canaan assembled against Israel. So the question is, what is Joshua in Israel to do? Uh, have you ever had something that seems insurmountable rise up against you? It's the same question. What are you to do? What are we to do? Well, let's see what Joshua did. Verse 6 as we continue. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them, slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Period. Period. That's it. That's all God said. He, he didn't go into explaining, laying everything down, so this is the way I want you... He, no. Tomorrow at this time, this is what's going to happen. Verse 7, So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as uh, Great Sidon and uh, Misraphoth Maim and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. God told Joshua and Israel exactly what to do. And he told them exactly what will happen. Tomorrow about this time, this is what's going to happen. So, Nothing to fear because victory has been secured. And not because of the greatness of Israel. Not because of the greatness of Joshua. Because of the great might of their God. We ought to remember these words of God to Joshua for our battles. When our enemies seem to assemble in mass against us. To remember that, I, I, I think that we need to be reminded of those, those very, the same words, we need to be reminded of those often. Do not be afraid of them, is what the Lord told Joshua. What do you say to Joshua when they were going to come against Ai? Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Against Jericho, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Do, do you see that? It's the same thing what he told Joshua in regards to all of the assembly that came up against him at this point. Tomorrow, at this time, do you, do you see that? Do you see it? 
We need to hear this often as Joshua heard it often from God. Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, even in the midst of turmoil, you know, when the world is falling apart, honestly, church, it doesn't matter what comes our way. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Our hearts break for what breaks God's heart. But the things that we find ourselves in, the circumstances... Oh, it's just temporary. It's, it's not even worth mentioning compared to the glory that awaits us in Christ. That's, that's what the Bible reminds us of. That is why in the midst of turmoil, we can have this peace that Jesus speaks of. That each and every one of his disciples should possess. That's one of those things that I was talking about at the very beginning. I see too many Christians like pulling out their hair. I don't know what to do. It's like everything is just, the sky's falling. The sky is falling. I'll tell you what, within this church, I hope that no one, especially if you're going through troubles, that no one feels like the sky is falling. Number one, because you know the truth. Number two, because you have brothers and sisters that would, will in a moment come alongside you and make sure that you know you're going to be okay. You're taken care of. May that never be true of anyone in this church. At no time, no place. It shouldn't be. Joshua did as the Lord said. He attacked them suddenly, struck them and chased them and completely destroyed them. None of them remained. Not zero. (laughs) All of them. Take it out. The fight that Joshua took to this huge army was one that was filled with confidence of the Lord. There was no indecision. There was no doubt whatsoever. Joshua's actions were full of faith and fought until none of the enemy remained. Oh, what a fight. What a battle. Oh, the enemy may appear to be strong, but none is stronger and mightier than our God. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I tell you, we need to hear this often. The Lord knew it, so it spread throughout the word, all the way through. Joshua fought an impassioned battle against the enemy with complete faith in God. Listen, just because the Lord also tells us that victory is ours, doesn't mean that we sit back on our heels or even worse, on our hands, and do absolutely nothing. We shouldn't be that. We should instead, knowing that victory is ours, advance just as Joshua did, in passion, with zeal, with passion. Knowing that victory is ours, so therefore we must go forth in confidence that our God is before us, and He is mighty, and none is greater than Him. No one. Verse 10. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. 
And they struck with a sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed, and he burned Hazor with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all their kings, Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn, except Hazor alone, that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed uh, but every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. At the time Joshua took out the army that had assembled against him, he at that point continued. He didn't stop there. The Lord had given them into his hands. He kept going. And, and this, this for us is, is something good to consider, to continue to move forward and advance. Just when the Lord has given us one area, it's not that at that point that we stop. We just continue to go because we've gained some momentum. We, we keep going, just like Joshua did. At this point, Joshua had this momentum going, and he's like, I'm turning and taking out Hazor. In fact, he was the head of all of these kingdoms, and so therefore, for that reason, I'm going to keep going because he could rear his ugly head also. And he kept going completely devoting them to destruction. And he left not one breathing. It was utter judgment of God through the instrument of the Israelites. Again, I want to ask if this is true of us, and that is verse 15. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses' his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Now we know that throughout the promised land that the Lord had given all, all of that land to the Israelites. And so of course he wasn't going to stop with those that were coming against him. There, were, there was more to conquer. There was more to possess, right? And so it was right for Joshua to continue going on and do the very thing that he did in these verses that we just read in verses 10 through 15. If there is something for us that the Lord has brought to our attention and we haven't gotten around to doing it, correcting it, stopping from doing it, adjusting, etc. Then we can safely assume that we have not done all that the Lord has commanded us to do at this time. The things that have come to our attention, whatever it may be, he knows that there's a sin of commission, but there's the sin of omission, if there are certain things that the Lord has revealed to us and we haven't taken care of those things, then up to this point, you can say, like the Israelites, we're going around in circles. In the wilderness, until we learn to not be stiff-necked and stubborn and rebellious against the Lord, and, and then we can continue to advance. He does that because He loves us. He disciplines those whom He loves. And that's discipline. Discipline is correction. 
You know, we, we have punishment, which is judgment. But we're talking about discipline. Sometimes we go around in circles and we're wondering, why are we in the, this place looks familiar. Yeah, because you haven't learned it. Right? Until you learn that, then we can move forward. Let's go. And really, honestly, and, and, and very openly with you, that is maturity in Christ. That's acknowledging what God has revealed to you, confessing it, repenting of it, and then walking with the Lord. We act like children that, that are still on milk when we're still in the basics and, and we haven't learned to humbly confess our sins before the Lord and truly repent, turn from them, and walk with the Lord. We've stunted our own growth when we do that. And we shouldn't. God is so gracious. He's so um, patient with us. And He's so patient with us that He'll allow us to stay there. He's eternal, right? He'll, uh, if you can stay there, son. If you insist on that, you can stay there until you get it right and then you can, then, then I'm here. Let's move forward. We should be able to say, up to this point, I don't know of anything that is left undone that the, role, uh, the, that the Lord has revealed to me and I haven't addressed. You understand what I'm saying? At this moment, it should all be taken care of as far as the Lord is concerned. We're, we're, we're fine. I believe we're, I don't have any open, unconfessed sin or undealt with sin. I, I, I don't have anything. That's a good place to be. That's not pride. That's just acknowledging what you know at that point. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means there's still more to be revealed. And then you continue to be uh, sanctified in the Lord. Listen, James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Confession, repentance, and action is in order. Just do it. Genuine faith demands action. Genuine faith demands action. Genuine obedience to God will fight until the enemy is destroyed and there is nothing left of him. Nothing less than that will do. And let me tell you that when you deal with things in your own life in this manner, it's also a part of the fight for us as Christians. It's part of that. When, when, when those things, those temptations and sin uh, rears its ug ugly head, we deal with them, and then we can move on. That's part of the battle. Verse 16, let's continue. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and all the, and all the land of uh, Goshen, and the lowland, and the Arabi, and the hill country of Israel, and its lowland, from Mount Halak, Halak which rises towards Seir, as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy, but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, one of the things that I do want to, want to address, because we always come across this, and then 
we have the question, or some people have the question, uh, why is it that the Lord has hardened the hearts of certain peoples? Well, God hardens the hardened hearts of the people. In other words, the hearts are already hardened. You get to a certain point, and He'll just simply... The, the same grace that softens the heart, hardens the heart. The same sun that softens the wax, hardens the clay. It, it, just, it just happens that way. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever talked to someone about grace, and you just don't understand why it is that they, not only do they reject grace, but they, they get aggressive, like as if, how dare you tell me that, I need God's grace. Who, who do you think that I am? It's like, it's God's grace. We all need it. And that, that same word for someone else just melts them. They, they accept it, they receive it, and they, they tell you, you're so right. You're so right. I, I need God's grace. I, I need that forgiveness. I understand he's a holy and righteous God and, and, and by grace I am saved through faith in Jesus Christ. I receive that. And for others, oh, it, it's, it's the worst thing that you could ever tell them. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Canaanites were a depraved people who worshipped other gods and they remained in that. It was a polluted land, this promised land. And it's for that reason that, that you see the, the, the Israelites as they're an instrument of God's uh, judgment on that land. Coming through and completely taking out that which is perverted, that which is depraved, and instead... Uh, Possessing it with God's righteousness and holiness. That's what we see going on. May that be so of our lives again. It's a reflection of our lives. As we allow God to come through and to do that very same thing. That which is depraved, that which is perverted, that which is not of Him. That He would instead possess it, that, it, that we may be a holy and righteous instrument used for His glory. Our own lives. Joshua battled with all these kings for a long time and put them all to death, except for the Hivites, who were inhabitants of Gibeon. That's why, as we brought up before, they were referred to as Gibeonites, and then they were also referred to as Hivites. Well, they were Hivites that lived in Gibeon, in the area of Gibeon, and so therefore they could be called both. Right? And we saw, saw that earlier, a couple chapters earlier. Now, there was no mercy, but judgment was instead reserved for them because of the hardness of their hearts. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, He will never change, then we should understand that God offers grace, but many reject it. Thus, they remain in their sin and are subject to God's judgment, just as anyone else. Offered grace, rejected, you remain in your sin, and therefore you remain condemned. Not because God hates them, but because he is just and holy and unrighteousness has no portion with him and should have no portion with his people. We need to be 
reminded of that. Righteousness and unrighteousness should not be a part of the same vessel. Shouldn't be a part of the same home. Shouldn't be a part of the same marriage. Shouldn't be a part anywhere close to the church, in the church. But then we move on. The last portion here of this chapter, we have, um, they, they've graduated to being giant killers. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 21. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people, uh, in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. These were the same giants. Same giants that 40 years earlier seemed like like big, huge people that could not be conquered. And, and the Israelites said, oh, we appear to them like grasshoppers. We're, we're, so, we're so small. There's no way. It's a, it's a lost battle. There's no way we're going in. Remember, 10 of the spies came back with, with an evil report. And they caused the hearts of the Israelites to melt. There's only two, Joshua and Caleb, that came back with a faithful report saying, no, the Lord promised it's ours. Let's go in. Let's take it. So what changed? What was different? Same people. Israelites. They didn't get any, they didn't get any bigger. They're probably about the same average height and all of that. Maybe they went to Gold's Gym. No? What was different? We, we need to listen to this. We need to hear very, very carefully. It was their faith in God. It was their faith in God. That was it. It was their faith in God who fights their battles. They believed it. He fights ours too. We ought to believe it. Therefore, we like them will advance with confidence and in peace because we trust in the Lord our God. Victory is ours. We move forward with complete confidence knowing that the Lord is with us. It's interesting that these were the last ones that Israel battled too. Remember, they were the first ones to be seen as they went in and spied the land, but they were last, the last ones to be battled. The last ones. They were the ones that Israel initially feared, but God had Israel engage other enemies before coming to the giants. Israel was, showing, was shown other victories before being faced with the giants 
And oftentimes, such is life. If you were to sit down and think about all the things that the Lord has brought you through, you too would say, hmm, he's shown himself faithful here and there and there and there, 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 you know. And, and so what I have before me, oh, I, it no longer looks like what it may have initially looked like if I was first faced with this. It's okay. Because even this is not mightier than my God. And he'll see me through. He's faithful. God will build your faith in him. And when the giants do come, you're ready for them and can confidently press in with the Lord and know that there is no one who can stand against the Lord Almighty. No one. Nothing. Second Chronicles 20. Verse 6 says, In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. And thus, with this last stand against the Anakim, Joshua had fulfilled what he was commanded to do, divided the land, and Israel had rest from war. And I want to say this for now. For now. So let's continue into chapter 12. This is going to be quick. It's an overview of um, all the kings that Moses defeated east of the Jordan as the sun uh, rises, um, and then also west of the Jordan where the sun sets. And those were Joshua's victories. So chapter 12, verse 1. says, Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon, with all the Arabah eastward, Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon and ruled over Eroer, uh, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon. <clears throat> and from the middle of the valley as far as the river Jabbok, in the boundary of the Ammonites, that is half of Gilead, and the Arabah to the sea of Chinneroth, eastward, and in the direction of Beth Jeshemoth, to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, southward to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah, and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Rephaim, who lived at Ashroth and at Edri, and ruled over Mount Hermon and Salica, and all Bashan to the boundary of the Geshrites and the Magathites, and over half of Gilead to the boundary of Sion, king of Heshbon. Moses, a servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Two kings and lots of land conquered east of the Jordan. King Sion and King Og, we've read of them before. Previously, we know that as uh, the, the spies went in and met with Rahab, that she told them that we heard of your conquest east of the Jordan, and... Our hearts have melted. We are in fear. And so this was, this was known. And all of this land that um, had previously belonged to them now was given over to Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And this whole list, this whole area, I know for us, oftentimes we look through and we're like, okay, a lot of names of a lot of places that we cannot really pronunciate very well. 
right? And, um, you know, where are these places? We can look them up. We can look at a map and we can see what this area um, involves. But you know who it was important to? The Israelites. The Israelites. It was very important for them because this is exactly the area that they possessed. Details are important when it pertains to you and what you possess. God gave them the land in detail, and we see it here. It's all laid out. This was all the land that Israel took possession of when they were led by Moses. And then we go to the other side of the Jordan. And this is the area that was conquered as the Israelites were led by Joshua. Verse 7, And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal God in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, that rises towards Seir, and Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as possession according to their allotments in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and the Negev, and the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the king of Jericho, one, the king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one, the king of Jerusalem, one, the king of Hebron, one, the king of Jarmuth, one, the king of Lachish, one, the king of Eglon, one, the king of Gezer, one, the king of Debir, one, the king of Geder, one, the king of Horma, one, the king of Arad, one, the king of Libna, one, the king of Adullam, one, the king of Makeda, one, the king of Bethel, one, the king of Tapua, one, the king of Hefer, one, the king of Aphek, one, the king of Lashron, one, the king of Madon, one, the king of Hazor, one, the king of Shimron, Meron, one, the king of Aksaph, one, the king of Tanakh, one, the king of Megiddo, one, the king of Kadesh, one, the king of Jachnim, in Carmel, one, the king of Dor, in Nathath, Dor, one, the king of Goim, in Galilee, one, the king of Tirzah, one, in all 31 kings. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's quite the exercise. Historical records can bring these details up and thus verify its veracity, the truth of it. The Bible gives details that have never been proven wrong, only verified to be accurate. For instance, there are 31 historical persons in the New Testament, from Herod Agrippa I to Tiberius Caesar and Caiaphas and Gamaliel and Herod the Great and many others. I love this because extra-biblical historical books, they confirm all of this. And it gives us exact years and months, seasons, just as the Bible has laid them out. All the details. And there's more than just names. There are certain things that are said that are specific to that time that can also be confirmed by extra-biblical historical records. Beautiful. Remember that these also, everything that we've listed, are reminders of what the Lord had done for Israel. Have you ever thought about what the Lord has done for you? Just reflected on all the things, you know, that like counting your blessings, but it's just thinking about those things. 
reflecting on God's grace, His provision, His great love, how amazing God is and has been in your life. Up to this point, much work has been accomplished. God has done great things, but the individual tribes had much more work to do to fully occupy the land. Let's look at verse 1 of, ch- of chapter 13. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites from the Silhor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and in uh, Mira, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrise from Baal God, below Mount Hermon, Hermon, to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So, um, Joshua is old and advanced in years, and God said he was old and advanced in years. God confirms it. We're getting old. And God says, yes, we're getting old. And so he did with Joshua. But at the same time, it it was a good confirmation, but at the same time he's telling him, but there's much more work to be done. There's a lot more work to be done. Remember I had laid out uh, Moses and Caleb and Joshua and Joseph and, you know, you go down the line. Um, I mean, how, how old was Moses when he, uh, he was sent back down to Egypt? Was he, was he 40? Was he 60? 70? 80. 80 years old, and you want me to what? 80 years old. Yeah. I want to use you as the very instrument that delivers the Israelites out from under Egyptian slavery. No. No, he's an old dude. Right? He's old. And we see it throughout Scripture. There remained much more work to be done, Joshua. What the promised land was to Israel then is Jesus to us today. Uh, that's why I thought, it's interesting. You know, sometimes I, I want to pick up on Lance's, you know, his sermons just prior to, and I just happened to have like a little portion of time prior to, to closing down at the hospital. And so I just, I just want to watch it for a while. And it's funny that he mentioned that very same thing. You know, it's just possessing, possessing, receiving, understanding, knowing living out more of Jesus. You know, when, when we say, 
We want more of Jesus. What does that mean? Have you thought of that? What does that mean? When, when we say, oh, I want more of Jesus. How do you get more of Jesus? Don't, don't you have his fullness already? We do. <laughs> we do. But the question is, is it, have we come to know for ourselves that which he has for us? That is having more of Jesus revealed in our lives. And I'll tell you what, it is so awesome. When, when, you, when you have new things come to the surface, come to the surface as far as uh, your understanding is concerned. Oh, it, it's, it's exciting. It's wonderful. The Christian life is dynamic. When you're faced with certain uh, troubles, I can say, in, say it in a different way, when you are confronted with opportunities to seek God and apply His wisdom in our lives, and you see His faithfulness, it's wonderful. You understand, oh, I possess more of Jesus in that I understand Him and reveal Him more in my life. I reflect His character more in my life. That's the beauty of it. And there's fruit in our lives. We have to learn how to live our lives in a more upright manner before the Lord. Now, verses 2 through 6, after we get past verse 1, God lists all of what remains to be possessed, which we read. And then the Lord tells Joshua, Again, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Listen, I know that there are certain pockets of people still possessing the land. Just, this is what it is. Joshua, divvy it all up. Divvy it all up. You here, you there, you there, you over there. You know, nine and a half tribes. All of, this is all your land, and this is how we're going to break it down. There was a land that was conquered together. And now there is land that will be assigned. And the individual tribes would be responsible for full occupation and driving out those who were there in the land assigned to them. The individual tribes would be responsible for that. Just as God had promised Israel as a whole that he would, for, uh, he would fight for them, so it is the same with the individual tribes. Same thing. They now had to exercise the same faith that the whole nation had exercised up to that point. They had seen, they had seen the Lord's victories, of fights, battles that had been amazing. Amazing. I mean, nothing short of amazing. And now the tribes, they went and occupied the land that they had been given, assigned to. And now it was their turn at that point to exercise that faith and know that God was with them. He went before them. He's the one that was going to... 
uh, take the, the, the inhabitants out from before them. He was going to drive them out from before the people of Israel and the individual tribes. And so all they had to do is simply exercise that faith and go forth in confidence in the Lord, knowing that he was the one that was fighting their battles. God required individual responsibility and therefore held them personally accountable for exercising that faith. So are we. There's one thing for the church to have faith in and move forward and and we see God moving. I, I can look back at this past week and say, the church came together and we're faithful, coming together corporately and we saw some beautiful things happen in one week. But he's also requiring of each and every one of you to exercise that same faith personally within your own home, you personally, that you would reflect that very same faith. Knowing that God is with you, He goes, he goes with you, He goes before you. Therefore, you can go in confidence. Let's, um, let's continue. Verse 8. <clears throat> With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites and the Gadites received uh, their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses' servant of the Lord gave them. From Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Mediba, as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites and Machathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to uh, Selika, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned as in, in Ashtaroth and in Edri. He alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So this is the land east of the Jordan that was conquered by Moses and given to Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So we have that. And we've gone through this, and so um, you know the location. We've gone through, we can look back at, at different studies and, and know, know that uh, where exactly that location is. But then we move on to verse 14. Um, or, or before we do, one thing that I want to point out is that they failed to drive out um, two of the peoples of the land. Two of the peoples. And, and this was their, their failure, this was, was their error. This shouldn't have been. They should have learned from when they were all together, all of the tribes driving out everything that was before them, everyone that was before them. They should have kept doing that. Even in the land that was given to them, assigned to them, they should have been doing the very same thing. They shouldn't have relaxed their hand at all. And, and that is something that we should, uh, a warning that we should heed because it's those people um, that serve as examples for us of the very things that don't belong in our lives, and we fail to completely do away with them. We seem to coddle them or feel sorry for them and 
think that we're okay with some of the things that are in our lives. And while they remain, we, we do not understand because we underestimate um, just how poisonous, how uh, destructive they are. And we allow them to undermine our faith and our walk with the Lord. And so they, they allow these two peoples to remain. Verse 14 says, To the tribe of Levi alone Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, God of Israel, and uh, the offerings um, are their inheritance as he said to him. It was repeated as to what the Levites were privileged to inherit. Instead of the land inheritance, the sacrifice of the Lord himself would be the Levites' inheritance. We see the contrast between the other tribes and the Levites by the use of the word alone, to them alone. We also see this mentioned in Joshua 14, 3 through 4 and Joshua 18, 7. These passages point back to the Lord's directives to Aaron in Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24, where the inheritance was to be the tithes that the Israelites presented to the Lord, as well as the burnt offerings, the offerings that the people would bring. These passages also point back to Moses' words in Deuteronomy 18, 1 through 5, where they were to receive the choicest of offerings that the people brought to the Lord. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. What these passages show is the important nature of the ministry of the Lord's work. These ministers may not have had land, but they did have rights to the best of the offerings. It was a great privilege to serve the Lord. And the Lord told them that he himself would be their inheritance, the best. Talk about the best. I'm your inheritance. And so it was. It was also the Israelites' great shame years later when the Levites and the temple singers were having to work in the fields to survive because God's people were not bringing in their tithes. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 10 through 12 says, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all of Judah brought the the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. The Apostle Paul made a similar point in addressing the church at Corinth when he said, Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? 1 Corinthians 9.13 He was speaking of the right he and the fellow servants of the gospel had to be supported by the church, although for reasons of independence and really to be more flexible and to not be a burden whatsoever or, or seem like a burden to the church, Paul withdrew himself from that and did not exercise that right. Thus, the principle of supporting the workers in God's service has its roots in God's earliest instructions as we see this evening and are reminded of this evening for His people and is repeated as binding on the Christian church even up to this very day. And so we see that. But the the Levites, they received the best portion. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. And, And so it is reflective of us as Christians. It isn't a piece of land that we're looking to possess. It is the Lord himself. In fact, we are considered to be royal priests of the Lord. 
We are part of that. In that, we have been brought in with the Lord. And so we are joint heirs with Christ of the fullness of God in Him. So let's continue and we'll wrap up here. Verse 15. And Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben according to their clans. So their territory was from Erwer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland by Mediba, with Heshbon and all its cities that are in the tableland, uh, Dibon and Bamoth Baal and Beth Baal Maon, and Jahaz and Kadimoth and Mephath, Mephath and Kiriath. Kirithaim and Sibma and Zareth Shahar on the hill of the valley and Beth Peor and the slopes of Pisgah and Beth Jeshimoth, that is all the cities of the tableland and all the kingdom of Sion king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon from or whom Moses defeated with the leaders of Midian, Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, uh, the princess of Sion who lived in the land. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. And the border of the people of Reuben was the Jordan as a boundary. This was the inheritance of the people of Reuben according to their clans with their cities and villages. So Reuben's land, and we'll continue on. Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad, to the people of Gad, according to their clans. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the, the Ammonites to Eror, which is east of Rabah, and from Heshbon to Ramath, Mizpah, and Betonim, and from Manaim to the territory of Debir, and in the valley of Beth Haram, uh, Beth Nimrah, Succoth, and Zaphon. The rest of the kingdom of Sion, king of Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary to the lower end of the Sea of Chinnereth, eastward beyond the Jordan. This is the inheritance of the people of Gad according to their clans, with their cities and villages. So Gad's land. And then verse 29. And Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was allotted to the half-tribe of the people of Manasseh according to their clans. Their region extended from uh, Manaim. Uh, through all Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan. Sixty cities and half Gilead and Ashroth and Edri, the cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. These were allotted to the people of Machir, the, sons, the son of Manasseh, for the, half, for the half of the people of Machir, according to their clans. Verse 32. These are the inheritance that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. And so we have Reuben's land, Gad's land, half-tribe of Manasseh. And then also the tribe of Levi, uh, again, is mentioned in the Lord being their inheritance, is what we see here. Now, next week, we'll look at Caleb's request, which I had mentioned earlier. Uh, Israel's inheritance west of the Jordan and Judah's allotment of the land. Those are some of the things. So, um, I'll leave you with this. Advance in confidence in the Lord. No army is too powerful to overwhelm 
anyone with the Lord. We are more than conquerors in Christ. Secondly, God will build your faith until giants are like grasshoppers before an almighty God. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. And thirdly, corporate faithfulness and victory should serve to build your personal faithfulness and victories to the glory of God. Hebrews 10.36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your patience with us. Lord, as we consider what we have studied this evening, Lord, we see how so much had been accomplished. In all because of belief. Your faithfulness. Belief in your faithfulness, your power, your might. That's all it was. And so it is with us. And so I ask, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to walk in the same confidence that Joshua and the Israelites did as they conquered and possessed so much land. I ask that you would fill us with your spirit to overflowing, empower us, and help us to walk with confidence in you. In Jesus we pray.